Good morning. Welcome back. Welcome back home. It's uh, good to be together again after our six-day travail and sin and misery. And, uh, you know, the weight and the burden that's associated with that, the, frankly, often the calamity that seems to be in front of us, um, but also the clear road that he's placed us on in the midst of all of that and the road markers that he's given us the guideposts and the clear guidance he gives us on this road, which is often treacherous and it's boulders in it and all the rest. So we're grateful for that this morning, but I trust that you're here in the midst of all of that uh, to worship him. Christianese, right? We're here to worship him. We say that often and uh, frankly we struggle with what that means and and how to do it heartfully or heartfelt and, and all the rest. Um, I trust this morning, as uh, we are ushered into worship here shortly, that uh, we will, uh, I love the expression in Cool Hand Luke, get our minds right. That's what God does. He gets our minds right over the course of time and uh, much training and pondering of his word. He gets our minds right. But this morning, we're going to spend a couple of minutes doing that, if you will, uh, such that the, the labor that we came here with and the burdens uh, we would be unshackled from, and we'd be free, in a sense, in the broadest sense, to worship him. So I would call your attention to the bulletin uh, this morning, as we do every Lord's Day, um, an articulation of either uh, an attribute of his, a biblical notion of his character, um, however we describe that. This morning it is that Christ is worthy. Um, and the passage here that you'll notice in your bulletin is Revelation 5, 6, 9, and 10. However, uh, I just can't bring myself to read just those three verses. The context is incredibly important here, so if you all will bear with me, I'm going to read the 13 verses, um, and then we'll, uh, we'll observe a couple of things and, and look to our Lord, who is worthy to be worshipped, to lead us into that very thing. It says, and I saw, by the way, this is a vision of John, right? So John's having a vision here. Um, and uh, this is about as tangible as it gets without being material. It's amazing. And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals, the Father holding the scroll. And I saw a strong, I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the book or to look into it. And I began to weep greatly. This is John. I began to weep greatly because no one was found to open the book or to look into it. How many of us weep (laughs) because God's will is not being accomplished or apparently is not being accomplished? And one of the elders said to me, someone blew in his ear, stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. And by the way, this book uh, often is tendered as, a, uh, as a, an inheritance document, if you will, or a, a will. And that would have been a common thing, the seals and all the rest. It's probably much bigger than that. It's probably all of God's purpose in all of his history, all of his purpose uh, collected in this document, front and back exhaustive, so it's not just an inheritance document, uh, unless you view his inheritance as 
all of history and providence and all that he's accomplished or ever will. So, and then in six, and I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing as if it were slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, the Holy Spirit, um, power and wisdom, which are the seven spirits of God sent out in all the earth. And he came and he took it out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, having each uh, one a harp, a golden bowls of full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy art thou to take the book and to break its seals, for thou was slain and did purchase for God with thy blood men from every tribe and every tongue and people and nation. Thou hast made them to be a kingdom of priests, and they will reign upon the earth. That's, I'm going to stop there. Um, this is a, it's an amazing uh, little pericope here. Um, this vision here sets forth really in a drama form. Hebrews is propositional. Hebrews tells us the very same thing um, in proposition. And this tells the same thing in drama. So in dramatic form, uh, this is revealing to us a, the central paradox and mystery of the Christian faith. God achieved his triumph uh, and delivered his people, not through the fireworks of military might and military fanfare, uh, but through the weakness of crucifixion, through the weakness of crucifixion. Um, uh, as I was looking at this, I was reminded of uh, what Paul says in 1 Corinthians, um, I think it's one or two, uh, where he says, I will destroy the wisdom of the world. And what he's saying there is that the wisdom can't imagine anything this big being accomplished with something so little and meek. Can't get their arms around that. You know, it's no wonder the Jews were looking for a military political victor, if you will. Um, they knew about uh, the Lion of Judah. You know, this, this, this hero of ours will come from the Lion of Judah, the tribe of Judah. And so he's a lion, he's powerful, and he's come, going to come from the root of David, so they know where he was going to come from, and then David comes along, and then following thereafter, Solomon, the most wise, the richest, finally, <laughs> and he turns out not to be it. And then you have some discouragement, um, but they were looking for this mighty, powerful lion, if you will, uh, but they stopped short of understanding how God would procure his purpose and his kingdom which this makes so evident. It's like those who view general revelation and see the might and the power of our God and they get the omnis, if you will, and, and, uh, and you know, the big, and the, the, big, the big and the proud, if you will, but they don't pay attention to special revelation. Special revelation, they stop short of his, his word, which is the descriptor, if you will, of his final purpose, that which the lamb accomplishes. And understanding that the lion needed to become a lamb. The lion needed to become a lamb to accomplish the purpose that's described here. And so the battle, unbeknownst to them, or, or misunderstood, I should say, they should have known, the battle was not to, not to occur in downtown Jerusalem in a military political victory. It was to, uh, to occur 
uh, in essence, in the Holy of Holies on the top of a distant hill. And it was the lamb, not the lion, which would describe, be described as the victor. It was the lamb who was worthy to take that scroll or all of God's purpose into his hands. And then subsequently, if you keep reading, it unfolds it and we get to see it. We get to see it in the vision of the apocalypse, the vision of John. Our encouragement, um, you and I still are just like the Jews. We still want that military political victory. We yearn for it, right? We do. We all like our strong natural leaders, our heroes, and all the rest. And we look for them. And when we find them, we tend to follow them. Uh, But the reality is that God became a lamb to be crucified to accomplish the purpose he wanted to accomplish. And so when we walk in the steps of suffering, 1 Peter 2, we're walking in the steps not only of uh, the Lion of Judah, who is powerful, ferocious, and will accomplish purpose, but we're walking the steps of the Lamb who went to the cross to bring that purpose to culmination. That's the beauty for me. That's the beauty of this passage here, that it brings two uh, figures of the same person, this Lion of Judah and this Lamb who actually took the scroll out of the Father's hand who was sitting on the throne and brought them together for us uh, to find great joy, for us to find great joy. So with that, I'm going to open us in prayer. I hope this gets your mind right. It does me, and uh, this is the gospel. This is, uh, this is why we live. This is how we live. This is what we live for. And uh, I hope that as we engage in, in uh, worship this morning, it will not be uh, a, a rote, mundane, lethargic for you, but that you will pray that God would muster an excitement and a, and a, and a right emotion to follow the precepts of worship such that we will worship with our whole being, our whole being, um, and honor him. So let's pray together. Father, we're grateful for this passage, um, how uh, great it is to, to read it, to understand it, and, and to share with John um, uh, the travail of a purpose not fully coming to fruition, the weeping that goes along with that, but the great joy of knowing that it will eventually. And so uh, we rejoice with all those before us. We rejoice for those in our midst, with, with those in our midst, and we rejoice with those that are to come and all of those who will be gathered up from every person, every people group, every nation, every peoples. And in gathering us up, you will bring your kingdom to fruition. And while that's a struggle for us to get our, our minds around and what that will look like and all the rest, calls us not to be preoccupied with speculation and what we don't know, but to rejoice in what we do know and what you have revealed here, such that we'd be a people who, uh, incomprehensibly to the world, walk in the midst of the muck and the mire of sin and misery and the travail and all the rest, but with great joy, because we know and we have the truth. Please continue to pray.
Worthy art thou, O Lord, and our God to receive glory and honor and power. And thou didst create all things, and because of thy will, they existed and were created. Well, we just recognize that God is worthy, not only because he created all things, but because he's redeeming all things as well. And so with that, let's celebrate that notion as we sing and follow suit uh, by singing this hymn, God, thy God reigneth, in your bulletin, thy God reigneth. Please stand with me.
Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, how grateful we are for this passage you've given us this morning uh, to hone our minds, our thoughts, um, our efforts, our energy, all that we are, uh, and focus upon you. We're grateful that you chose to reveal such a glorious thing to us and then to sustain it with the extravagant love that you throw and place upon us in the Lamb, the Lamb that was crucified and restored us unto you. So this morning, receive the worship of your people, appraise it according to the righteousness of Christ, such that you would be pleased uh, with your people uh, according to his righteousness. And with that, cause us to be refreshed in you. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Maybe particularly this morning, having been confronted with this passage, this truth, um, it is so most appropriate in recognizing uh, who the lion and the lamb are uh, and who and what we are to respond with confession. Confessing, and by the way, we've already begun our confession. We confessed who he is. We confessed what he's done. And we've, we've confessed gratitude toward him. And now we'll confess the very sins that put him on the cross, that caused him, that Lion of Judah, to become a lamb for us. And so we'll do that by reading this prayer together. It's a corporate prayer of confession, inadequate to the task. Nonetheless, our effort as God's people united to corporately, as a body, as one body, to worship him in confession. So we'll read this prayer together, and then we'll have a silent time, uh, and then I'll close this in prayer. So if you would, pray this prayer of confession with me. Father, we humble ourselves before you because we are unworthy of your love. We admit that we often envy the worldlings around us instead of pitying them. We often admire the arrogant and are jealous of the prosperity of the wicked. Therefore, we often desire to sin in secret ways. Father, have mercy on us. Deliver us from worldly envy. Make us content only you. Forgive us all the other sins that grow out of our the Tenth Commandment. Again, we cast ourselves on you in faith that Christ's life and death have given us access to God. Thank you for the mercy granted us through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. Please continue to pray.
God, just as we have just um, uh, proclaimed and acknowledged uh, that this short prayer is inadequate to express uh, not only the breadth but the depth of our sin, which has permeated every thought, word, and deed in our lives, and um, there is nothing acceptable to you that emerges from us without the redemptive covering of Jesus Christ uh, for it and for you. And so for that, we're grateful. We're grateful that we can approach you. We can approach you just as the high priest did once a year into the Holy of Holies and acknowledge your presence because you spilled your blood on the top of the ark between yourself and the demands of the law, which you satisfied on the cross. And so for that, you call us a royal priesthood. And for that, we are grateful and we're excited. We're grateful to be joint heirs and, and uh, to having given the admonishment to exercise dominion, we do so. But we're grateful that you covered our sins, O oh God, past, present, and future. And with that, we are a people, uh, yes, grateful, but also wanting in gratitude. And so our, the very prayer we pray is that you would increase our gratitude to you such that we would reflect the very reality that we're enjoying to those around us as well. With that, thank you for the cross work of the Lamb. We pray in his name. Amen. Amen. You know, we don't have to be so transactional and pardon. You know, sometimes we get a little transactional about it. You know, there's this. Let's pick out a verse out of context. Let's read it. And there, his steadfast love. And there's nothing inherently wrong with that. But I, uh, Christianity is not a transactional religion. <laughs> it's just not. It, the, the truth is not like that. Um, nonetheless, I would direct you to the very same passage we just read in Revelation 5, obviously the focus being 9 and 10, where he does redeem a people from, uh, through the spilling of his blood uh, from every tribe, nation, and people. And so if you're part of that group, and how do you know if you're part of that group? If you're trusting in the lamb who spilled his blood and nothing else, if you're trusting in that lamb, then you're part of the group that he spilled his blood for. And it makes clear what your destiny is and what my destiny is. We're joint heirs. We're a royal priesthood now and forevermore. That's a glorious future he has for us. What do we do with that? Well, we're, we're bibbling over with gratitude, right? We're bibbling over with gratitude. But you've got to do something with that gratitude. And that is look back to the very lamb you're grateful for and say thank you. And then look to your left and your right and say, here's the good news, people. It's beautiful. This is glorious. And you share the good news in relative, patient, kind, forbearing ways in whatever context you may be in. It's a tough, that can be a tough nut to crack, but that's the calling for us to recognize this glorious lamb who spilled his blood for us and respond accordingly. And we continue that life study. So with that, let's, let's enjoy with great celebration singing him, uh, the hymn Free from Guilt and Free from Sin. Yeah, they're going to play through the entire hymn first. 
uh, just to juggle our memories. It's a fairly new hymn, and then uh, we will rise. his people from every nation said, Amen. Amen. Please be seated.
where God continues to lead us from his word. The Lord's loving kindness indeed, excuse me, the Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Well, indeed, brothers and sisters, Christ is worthy as we were exhorted and encouraged uh, to receive our worship. We confess that. We confess our sins to the one who is worthy. And now uh, we're given the opportunity to dedicate ourselves to that worthy one. And so that's what we're going to do now. And so I'd encourage um, both you, my brothers and sisters here, as well as those of you who are worshiping online with, with us, dedicate yourselves now to the Lord. What we'll do here is uh, the, the men will stand and serve in each of the sections um, as you uh, stand up, beginning with the last row and moving forward to the first and file by. Whatever you place in that plate, whether it's uh, a financial instrument, um, whether it's a prayer instrument, whether it's both, um, what you place there represents you, a part for the whole. So brothers and sisters, let's dedicate ourselves now to the Lord. Please join me in prayer. O God, our King, O Christ, our Lord, O Spirit, who is holy, our triune God, we confess that you, O God, are worthy of all honor, of all glory, of all power, 
of all dominion, of all, O God, that is in heaven and earth and under the earth, all in, in this creation. must bring glory to you because you are our God and you are our creator. Father, we bring before you this morning our our prayers of dedication. We turn to the one who is powerful. We are not. You are. We turn to the one who is wise. We are not. You are. We turn to the one who is just. Sadly, Father, so often we are not, but you are. We turn to the one who is good, Again, Lord, so often it is not true of us, or it is true of us in part and in passing, in fleetingly, in changeably. Not so of you. You are unchangeably good. And so, God, we come to you, and we rejoice that our sister Mary Cassidy is with us this morning. God, what a refreshment. And, Lord, we bring our sister before you again, and um, or. Diagnosis of, of vascular stenosis, and um, I'm not sure if she's actually had the eye appointment or not, but I know that she was pursuing, pursuing all therapies, Father, for this. We pray for her. We pray, Father, that you would lead her, that you would lead her family, those closest to her, in giving her wise counsel regarding her medical care. Father, we pray for her healing. And we pray, Father, that um, whether you heal her quickly or in time or in glory, that you would strengthen her in the inward woman, that she would be built up in Christ, and that her confidence and her joy, Father, would be unshaken because of you. Father, I bring Dorothy's co-worker, Brad Pearson, uh, before you, and Father, his daughter, Naomi, and his wife, and uh, Lord, the struggle with mental illness, and Father, the outcome of that, I know it's been several weeks um, now since... Uh, This was made known to us, but we pray uh, for this family. We pray for the work of the gospel in each of their lives, their need for Christ, their need to trust Christ. And, Father, we pray for deliverance from mental illness for Naomi and, Father, for help for her parents as they seek to care for her. Father, we pray for Marla and Laura as they continue to look for work. Uh, We thank you for the opportunity that has been given to Laura and as she considers what to do and where to go. Uh, Give her wisdom in this. We pray also for our sister Marla, Father, that you would provide work for her soon, work that is is adequate uh, to her skills and that will enable her to provide, uh, Father, for herself. Father, we rejoice with uh, Dorothy regarding uh, the plumbing event that that happened this week. Thank you, Lord, that she does not have to vacate her uh, her home. Um, Thank you, Father, that there has been a problem identified. And, And we pray, God, that... Um, as she has struggled with this for years, um, that it would be an accurate diagnosis and fix. Um, Lord, that you would spare her, Father, from further trouble uh, from this. And, and Lord, we realize that um, it's something we take for granted, uh, you know, that our sinks work, our toilets work, our showers work. Uh, we have the blessing and privilege of running water and indoor plumbing. Um, we don't take that for granted. And so, Father, we pray for an effective solution for Dorothy and that you would enable her, Father, to continue to entrust herself to you. Lord, I pray for uh, David Contreras, um, Jeremy's friend. And, Father, I don't know if his mom is still in ICU uh, or not. Um, I don't know if she's become responsive or not. But, Father, we pray for this woman. We pray for David. We pray for his father. Father, we pray for help. 
um, for the medical staff who are attending uh, to his mom, and whatever the uh, uh, the situation is, whatever the root cause is of uh, of this, we understand she has pneumonia. We understand there's a, a COVID concern. Lord, you know her frame. You know the situation at the lowest level of detail. And so, Father, we pray for her. We pray for her healing. We pray for help for all those who are attending to her, that they would be accurate and careful in their care. And we pray for David and his father, that you would comfort them, that you would enable them to know how to encourage each other, how to pray, how to help. Hear our prayer, Father, for this woman. Lord, I also uh, bring before you um, Officer Telly and uh, his family, um, Father, his wife, his seven children, his dad, Homer, um, his mom, and not just for Officer Telly, Father, certainly for the nine others who gave, um, uh, you know, went to a, a store and uh, never came back. <clears throat> Father, we pray for them. We pray um, for this man, thanking you for him. We realize that he is, on a confession of his dad, a, a truster in Jesus Christ, one who knew Christ. And no doubt, Father, that informed his action when all were fleeing chaos, when all were fleeing evil, and, and rightly so. We understand that. He was doing the opposite, Father. As the first responder, he was the one that was running to the problem, running to the evil, running to the chaos. And, Father, he did so, fulfilling his oath of service and loyalty, which he swore to that community there in Boulder, fulfilling his obligation as a police officer to provide protection, to deal with the evil that was in front of him. And so, Father, um, there is no longer a, a husband physically. There is no longer a father physically, but there is a heavenly father for the children, and that is you. There is a husband, and that is Christ for Officer Telly's widow. And, Father, these same relationships which we um, confess and plead uh, for this family, uh, we certainly confess and plead for the other nine that were lost, not knowing them as individuals, not knowing their life situation or their family. But, Father, we pray for those who are grieving now and, Father, who will live with the consequences of this for years to come. We pray for the man who perpetrated it, and, Father, we pray that while he lives, there is hope. While he breathes, um, salvation is still proclaimed in Christ alone, through faith alone. And so we pray for that, Father. We pray that you would turn this man from whatever darkness he is walking in, which is no different than the darkness that we walk in. Yes, he, he committed a great evil. We have committed great evil. And while it may not take the same form as it took this past week, his station in life is no different than us outside of Christ, and so we pray for that. And Father, it, 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 we pray as well for the other men and women who serve in, in law enforcement. We think of Ryan and Paul and, and our own congregation and, and many others. We grant, Father, that there are bad actors in this world, in all professions, not uniquely law enforcement. But, Father, these men and women who need our prayer, who need our respect, who need our help, who need to be able to do their jobs, which are difficult, hard, and as has just been demonstrated, dangerous, 
We pray for them, encourage them, help them in the cause of justice. Give them, Lord, a, a, a heart for what is good, and we pray that you would protect and strengthen them and enable them to do their job. And we pray for our society, Father, that our society would, would recognize that and would work, <coughs> work for the common good. So, Father, hear our prayer. Lord, we turn um, from those things that are near to us and we, and we look outside. Father, we look to the, to the northern Cape province in South Africa. And Father, for the eight years of drought that this uh, community has, has suffered, um, entire communities financially brought um, essentially to ruin. Uh, very few jobs, very little work, crops which are failing, <coughs> livestock which is not living. And Father, a government which it, it seems either unwilling or uh, struggling to, to recognize that, and we don't know why. Father, whether... Um, there are political concerns or, um, or what, Father. We don't want to, to prejudge or to misjudge, but, Father, we pray for the Northern Cape. We pray for uh, the people there that are in need of great help. We thank you, Lord, for the, um, the independent work that has gone on in the country to provide aid. For those um, men who've given uh, their time, uh, their, their trucks, the, the petrol, um, all of the contributions of of food that is um, being taken there. We pray that you would give them success, that you'd protect them, Father, from, um, from bandits on the road, uh, from folks who would uh, use this as an opportunity to, to enrich themselves. We pray that you would save and help this community. Father, I also pray for the Indonesian Reformed Fellowship. And Lord, for the, the, the populous uh, nations, 270 million uh, people, 700 languages, Lord, the, the islands that, that are, are there and, and are distributed. When we think about Java and Sumatra and Sulawesi and Bali and Simba, Borneo, Timur, Mokasa, and New Guinea, Father, and we know that there are many other smaller islands there, but Father, we pray for the believers there, your people, who do indeed face Muslim persecution in that land, who, who struggle to, um, uh, to meet and worship in some places. Other places, it's fine. Uh, plenty of freedom. Um, we thank you for the, the, the liberty of uh, the, the Muslim government in Indonesia, that, that, that uh, there is freedom afforded. But, Father, we pray for the work of your word in the lives of your people. There are those who are very rich. There are those who are extremely poor in those islands. And Father, we know that there is concerted effort um, to bring the gospel, to bring the Bible, to bring Christianity to them, and that they are encouraged by that, whether that's through radio or internet or um, direct teaching. Father, we pray for the believers in Indonesia. Father, I also bring before you the country of Yemen, and that, Father, we pray for the end of the war there, we pray for the small communities, uh, native communities of Christians in Yemen. And Father, as they face um, what we face as, as believers in this world, they face something much more severe, as you well know. And so, God, we pray that you'd protect them from prying eyes, that you would enable them, Father, to be able to provide for themselves and their families, and, Father, that you would guide them in worship. But, God, we pray for an end to this war. Lord, I also pray for the country of Lebanon. 
a country that has been ransacked uh, with hardship and with strife. And since, Father, the uh, large explosion that occurred in the, in the harbor, now uh, the country, already in economic crisis, spun into greater economic crisis and political crisis, political vacuum, as so many uh, in the ruling uh, organization of the country simply left, simply put down their jobs and, and took off. Um, and now they are seeking to form uh, a government. They're seeking a way forward. We know that there are believers, many, uh, in Lebanon. And so we pray for our Christian brothers and sisters there as they work to, to minister to the needs of their neighbors. Provide for them, Father. We pray for a stable political environment that that would occur. We pray for an economic recovery for the people there. Hear our prayer for Lebanon. Father, I pray um, as well for the Bible course in La Cachugo, um, Kenya, and Father, for the South Sudanese and for the Kenyan church. Lord, for our brothers and sisters there, thank you, Lord, for the platform for the gospel. Thank you that there are men and women and children um, who are uh, worshiping you, following you, and seeking to bring um, this message to their neighbors. Encourage the church in this area. Father, we, we pray specifically for the church leaders, that they would um, have a clear understanding of the word of God, that they would be able to teach it clearly and accurately, and that your spirit would use that word in the lives of the people there. Father, finally, um, we turn to the Bible training program that is going on in Tanzania. Lord, you are aware of that. We pray for this, that you would give it success, um, that you would protect it from error, and that you would enable uh, the believers there in Tanzania to benefit from it. And then, Lord, for the Christians who are in Ethiopia. Lord, we read in the news frequently of uh, Muslim incursions, um, that are affecting entire towns, um, that are affecting um, schools, that um, people are struggling to, uh, to know how to respond. We pray in particular for the Tigray province and for all of the violence that it has recently experienced and for the Christian leaders there that remain in prison as a consequence, Father, of um, people's response uh, to Christianity in Tigray. And so, Father, for Ethiopia, uh, a country in need, uh, both physically, uh, but certainly spiritually, we pray for your church in Ethiopia. So, God, these are our prayers. Hear our prayer, Father. Hear and answer, we pray, according to your good, wise, and powerful action in this world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we're going to turn now and uh, respond in uh, song to our God. Whatever my God ordains is right. Whatever my God ordains is right.
Please be seated. God continues to lead us from his word, uh, reading from Psalm 119, beginning in verse 9. This is God's word. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. With all my heart, I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I have told of all the ordinances of your mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and regard your ways. I shall delight in your statutes. I shall not forget your word. Well, brothers and sisters, uh, reading the text, listening to the text, uh, I'm not sure I can confess that I've rejoiced in, in God's word as much as in all riches. I think there are many times when I, I rejoice in um, things which I can see, touch, and feel um, to the detriment of, of God's word. But certainly this is worth um, our, um, our notice. It's worth our recognition. It's worth our paying attention to. Paul writes in Romans, um, how shall they hear uh, without a preacher? Well, God's given us a preacher. And um, he's going to come and preach to us from God's word. And the, what I, I remind you of, uh, which I also remind myself of, the preaching of the word of God is a primary means. It's an important means that God has given to strengthen or stabilize your faith. And so, brothers and sisters, if that is true, um, let us do our best uh, to give our attention to the preaching of the word of God, to the preacher. He's just a man. He'll admit to yourself, um, he's a frail man, he's, um, he's got his own struggles and sins just like you and I do, but he's been tasked with uh, preaching the word of God, and we've been tasked with as his people to listen, to hear, and by his grace to respond. To turn in your Bibles to the book of Psalms. And the 63rd Psalm, as well taking your bulletins, the outline that's in your bulletin, and let's spend time fellowshipping around God's word. Sorry, guys. Psalm 63, um, we're, we're in a transition into Zechariah in our series on the prophets. So this week, next week, the week after, we're going to spend a little bit of time on other things. And uh, this morning, I want to return to a series that I am going to return to many more times, Lord willing, and that is the glory of God's grace. Glory means heavy, weightiness, the substance versus vanity, emptiness. The glory, the substance of, of God's grace. And this morning, we're going to look at the glory of God's loving kindness. And that's from Psalm 63. This is God's word. Let me invite you to stand together with me as we read this incredible psalm. Hear now the word of, of our Lord. A psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. 
O God, thou art my God, I shall seek thee earnestly. My soul yearns for thee, my flesh yearns for thee, my soul thirsts for thee, in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Thus I have beheld thee in the sanctuary to see thy power and thy glory. Because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. So I will bless thee as long as I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. My soul is satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth offers praises with joyful lips. When I remember thee on my bed, I meditate on thee in the night watches. For thou hast been my help, and in the shadow of thy wings I sing for joy. My soul clings to thee, thy right hand upholds me. But those who seek my life to destroy it will go down into the depths of the earth. They will be delivered over to the power of the sword. They will be be a prey for foxes. But the king will rejoice in God. Everyone who swears by him will glory. For the the mouths of those who speak um, lies will be stopped. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let's pray. Father, what a delight and privilege it is this day to come before you now and, and fellowship with you at this moment in worship. Gotta pray that you'd bless this time. Uh, Father, the, first your word would be accurately preached and faithfully preached. But then, Lord, your spirit, Holy Spirit, would you work by and with it to mold and shape us and make us a people who truly would delight in you, our God, and who would find great comfort gladness and joy in your loving kindnesses. God, grow us accordingly. Bless us, we pray, under your glory and namesake. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please be seated. Nineteen eighty-six. The Paps Brewing Company came out with a series of commercials, which some of you probably will, will still remember. It was, it was directed and aimed at men, and the setting was a camping trip or a fishing trip, and it's the perfect day. It's a group of men up in on the perfect day, the perfect temperature, no insects, clearly no insects, no, uh, no ticks, no, no uh, uh, mosquitoes, Perfect fishing uh, conditions, uh, getting the perfect amount of fish, the perfect size. I mean, these fish fish were were uh, massive. And then great relationships, no competition, no jealousy. And it ends in the evening, presumably after a fantastic fish, uh, fish fry, with all the men holding an old Milwaukee beer can. And one man raises his, his, his glass, they all do, and they say, it doesn't get any better than this. Now, I've got, I get altitude sickness, so I don't go up to the mountains very often. But I'll tell you what, when that came out, and, uh, and I saw that commercial, and I got a little picture there of it, it made me want to go up there and be a part of that group. And what's amazing to me based upon the psalm before us this morning, is that if, if David could have enjoyed that perfect day, but give up knowing and understanding the loving kindness of God, 
or better yet, experiencing it, he wouldn't choose it. He'd choose the loving kindness of God a hundred times out of a hundred. That's the idea of verse 3. Thy loving kindness is better than life. Look at that little phrase, brothers and sisters. He's not talking about that loving kindness is better than a good meal or a lot of money. He's saying the best that this world can give a man or a woman, God's loving kindness is better. In fact, you would be far better to, to long for and spend your entire life seeking to understand and enjoy the loving kindness of God than all the money in the world or all the pleasure in the world, all the things that you and I are daily give ourselves to to acquire and, and enjoy. David would, would say, man, seek to understand and enjoy the loving kindness of God. Now, is he overstating it? Is this hyperbolic? The answer is no. This is not hyperbolic. This is David at his lowest and David at his best. We're going to look at this and we're going to examine the loving kindness of God from Scripture. And hopefully by the end come to see that indeed thy loving kindness is better than life. But to do that, let me introduce you first to this psalm. Psalm 63, you see that little inscription at the very top? It is part of the Hebrew text. It says, a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. Now we know historically David was in the wilderness of Judah two times in his life in terms of being there, staying there, living there. One was when he was being chased by Saul, but then he wasn't king. In verse uh, um, 11, he's king. So it can't be that point. So it has to be the only other time. And the only other time David was in Judah was when David was, was running for his life from Absalom. Now why would God, David was a man after God's own heart. David was the beloved of God. Why would, David was God's choice of king. Why would God ordain that this man be run out of Jerusalem Fleeing for his life. The answer is found in 2 Samuel 12. Let me read it to you real quickly. In Nathan's rebuke of David after committing adultery, deceit, and murder, the Lord said to him, Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house, because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you from your own household. And he's talking about the current situation that Psalm 63 finds him in. However, the psalm or the uh, uh, narrative with Nathan ends with, Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has taken away your sin. So understand the context of Psalm 63. This was not written in a palace. This was not written on, on one of those fishing trips of the old Milwaukee days. This was written in the wilderness. A horrible place where David was fleeing for his life. This was written when David lost everything. Everything that mattered to him was gone. That's when this was written. Now this was not written at a time when God was disciplining David. We know from Scripture that this is not because God was, or better yet, punishing David. God is disciplining him here, certainly. But he's not punishing David for his sin. This is David suffering the consequences 
of his sin. There's a, a difference. Okay, this is David forgiven by God. Restored by God. Suffering the consequences of sin. If you go to work and lose your temper and quit and walk out, but then you ask God to forgive you, guess what? The next day you don't have a job. That's not punishment. That's a consequence. And this is David suffering in this world, this this state of sin and misery, the miseries of his prior sinful choices. Now, during this time, David learned so many wonderful lessons. I'll give you quickly three of them or four. One, you've got them there in your notes. God is not after religious acts of service. He wants our hearts. David learned that during this time. Psalm 51, 16, thou dost not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I'd give it. Thou art not pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices, God, are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Brothers and sisters, let me tell you something. What I'm preaching on today, the loving kindness of God, it will mean nothing to you if your heart is not broken. If you're not longing for something more on this earth than money or power or wealth or fame. If you're longing for God, if you're Matthew 5, 3, and 4, longing, mourning over your sin, poor in spirit, seeking after Christ, then what we're talking about today will be your bread and butter. It will be flesh to your bones. But if you are one self-satisfied, you won't be where David is. David was a man who, who, was, who realized God's not after the religious show. Christianity isn't a checkbox, a religion. It's a relationship with God where we seek our God. Secondly, he learned our sin, though it, it is egregious, cannot compromise our relationship with God, just our joy. Psalm 51, restore to me the joy of thy salvation. He wrote this after his sin with Bathsheba and his restoration. Restore to me the joy. He didn't say, God, give me back my salvation. He simply prayed, oh God, restore the joy of it. Thirdly, God loves us so much that when we are living in unrepentant sin, the Lord will, will allow our hearts to be tormented by guilt and grief. Psalm 32, another psalm he penned after this, 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 this episode describing his spiritual health as he lived in his unrepentant sin. David wrote, when I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. Pause and wonder. Salah. I acknowledged my sin to thee, and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and thou didst forgive the guilt of my sin. Pause and reflect upon that. Salam. Brothers and sisters, David understood that even though he's a great sinner, nevertheless, God in his grace sends forth, because of how he, he makes us, this sense of guilt and, and misery. His body was wasting away. Praise God for that. And that's what brought David then back to, to the Lord, that and many other things. But ultimately, you know what he learned during this time? He learned during all of this time that the greatness, he learned of the greatness, glory, riches, and majesty of God's loving kindness. Thy loving kindness. Now this is David, who had just as much wealth in essence. I mean, how much wealth do you need to be wealthy? As Solomon. Now Solomon was far wealthier, we understand. But the way he lived, David, 
He had life, man. He had the best that this world had to offer. Anything and everything he could have ever wanted was at his disposal. And he lost it all. And yet at this moment in, his, in the lowness of his life, thy loving kindness is better than life. Boyce wrote these words. This background helps us appreciate the emotional passion of the psalm. Separated from God's sanctuary, which was in Jerusalem and which David loved, David is longing for a sense of the presence of God as a friend longs for one from whom he is separated or as a lover longs for his beloved. That's what this psalm is. This is a love psalm. This makes the psalm almost a love song for God, especially when David says, my soul thirsts for you, my body longs for you. Commentator Derek Kidner said of this psalm, there may be other songs that equal this outpouring of devotion, but there are few, if any, that surpass it. Why? Because, brothers and sisters, David has learned something that that hopefully we won't take a lifetime to learn. Hopefully from the benefit of God's word, we can learn this day that which David learned the hard way. And that is, brothers and sisters, money, fame, power, satisfaction, contentment, popularity, um, marriage, singleness, whatever you might be seeking for this day, cannot compare to the loving kindness of God. In fact, Psalm 94 says, If I should say my foot has slipped, thy loving kindness will hold me up. Do you understand what the loving kindness is, brothers and sisters? It's the food we eat. It's what enables us to stand when we can't stand. It's what holds us up when we fail. That's the loving kindness of God. Now, why is David so hot about this? What is the loving kindness of God? Secondly, notice with me, God's loving kindness. Let's define it. This verse 3, loving kindness. What is it? The Hebrew word is chesed. Okay? And a hundred years ago and beyond, lexicons and Bible translations translated this word as if it meant mercy, love, um, kindness. In fact, the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, uses the primary word elaos, which is the word for mercy in Greek, to translate this word. So many people just thought the word hesed simply meant love or kindness or tender mercies. I mean, that's what that is, right? But 1927, an aspiring archaeologist, rabbi, Nelson Gluck, Uh, published his dissertation, and he blew the top off this word. His contention in this dissertation, 1927, is that the word um, um, chesed is not an attribute of God, per se. It's a description of a conglomeration of attributes. This word is not, you can't translate this word with one word. It can't do it. You can't do it. It is so much bigger than just one word. It's, again, a conglomeration of eight. No, I've got nine. Nine different attributes of God. And the idea behind this is you and I are to take in these nine. If we can do that mentally this day, spiritually, take in these nine, put them together. Think of painting. 
30 different colors on your palette. We're going to take nine colors and we're going to put them on a canvas and we're going to see what those nine colors look like together on a canvas. And when we see what we see, that's the loving kindness of God. So God's loving kindness is not his love. It's not his kindness. It's not his mercy. It's much, it's those, but much bigger. And we're called to try to take this in. My struggle this morning is I realize unless the Spirit of God is working in your heart this day, this will just be one big lecture. But if you allow the Spirit of God, try, uh, uh, relying upon him, to take these colors and to paint this gorgeous paint of a scene that you can see what indeed, what's, what's the big to do about the loving kindness of God that's better than life, that raises me up when I'm falling, How can God's loving kindness do that? Well, these nine characteristics of God. Wow. Try to take them in. Notice with me. When we deal with chesed, it encompasses nine different facets of God's character. The first one is his truth or his integrity. Listen to, if you want to turn there, turn with me. We'll do a quick Bible uh, survey of scripture. 2 Samuel chapter 6, or chapter 2, verse 6a. Let me just read it. Speaking of the men of Jabesh-Gilead, after they buried Saul, David said, And now may thy Lord show loving kindness and truth to you. The word and there is ep-exegetical in the grammar, which means truth is describing loving kindness. The second noun describes the first. And because of that uh, construction, we conclude that that part and parcel loving kindness is truth. When we talk about God's loving kindness, we're talking about his truth. The fact that, first of all, there is no lie in God. There's no uh, teasing. There's no faking. God is. A loving kindness is real. It's not fantasy. Okay, we're going to get to that. Secondly, brothers and sisters, um, the word truth. When John 14, 6, Christ says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. What does he mean by that? The word truth, we think the opposite of truth would be what? False, right? That's not the opposite. The opposite of truth is fantasy. The opposite of truth is romanticism. Now, don't misunderstand. When C.S. Lewis wrote uh, fantasy books, those comported to reality, so they're really not the fantasy I'm talking about here. The fantasy we're talking about is the 80% truth, uh, 20% False, wrong. And that wrongness creates a world that does not exist, romanticism. Right? So I remember sitting down years ago with Dave and fellowshipping, and, and uh, both of us were talking about parenting. We all, at that time, all of our kids were young. And his statement, I really love it, his statement was, Greg, you know what? We're thinking of movies. I think far more damning or dangerous to our children than violence and, and all the different ratings that you get with, or different things that you get with different uh, uh, ratings. It's romanticism. It's creating a world that does not exist and encouraging our daughters, think of romantic relationships, or better yet, romanticism, thinking that there is a knight in shining armor, that, there, that I can find a man who is perfect, who will never let me down, who will always be there. That's the guy I'm looking for, this knight in shining armor. Brothers and sisters, that's the opposite of truth biblically. Truth describes reality. Christ is truth. 
Loving kindness, brothers and sisters, is real versus the fake things that you and I think, like an old Milwaukee commercial, that that world actually exists. That I can go up on a tickless day with no mosquitoes and no harsh weather, the perfect temperature, the perfect everything. Brothers and sisters, if that's your goal in this life, you will always be looking and never coming, uh, never arriving until you go to God, because God is truth. Loving kindness, brothers and sisters, is real. It's, it's real. It's not fake. It's not phony. It's not a cheap, a cheap imitation. Secondly, would you notice, it's faithfulness. Psalm 89.2, for I have said loving kindness will be built up forever in the heavens that wilt establish truth. This is known as progressive parallelism, where they're saying the same thing twice, but progressing. Here he says, loving kindness will be built up forever in the heavens, which is for also uh, forever. It's chiastic too. That wilt establish faithfulness. Faithfulness is modifying loving kindness. Conclusion, the loving kindnesses of God involves his fidelity. And what is that? Simply the fact that God is able to be trusted. Let me change that a little bit. Write that down. He's able to, uh, to be trusted. That's what the word faithfulness means. But pl- applied to us, that means he's able to be entrusted. Right? Romans eight eighteen. Let those also who suffer according to the will of God entrust their souls to a faithful creator. Able to be trusted in doing what's right. Brothers and sisters, you can, tr- you, can, you can entrust your life to the loving kindness of God and you will never be disappointed. You can entrust your soul to that loving kindness, that God. You'll never be disappointed. Thirdly, would you notice with me, it refers to God's compassions. Psalm 25, 6, remember, O Lord, thy compassion and, epic exegetical, Thy loving kindness. We, we could translate the and as that is thy loving kindness. Remember, O oh Lord, thy uh, compassion is that is thy loving kindness. A large part of God's loving kindness is his compassion. What's uh, compassion? Compassion is used of Christ when he was on this earth. How he would be physically moved. The word in the Greek is splonchnizomai, splonchnizomai. It's that, remember, splonchnos. It's this, it's this guttural word where when you see life and you're moved by it, it hurts you. You, you feel sick to your stomach or you, feel, or you grieve with people who are grieving. That's known as compassion. Okay? God, when he looks upon us, he understands us. Do you understand what that means? That means when this perfect God looks upon you, he he takes into consideration your stature. So, for example, Psalm 103, 13, just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on his children. I may have quoted that wrong, but the verse is there, right? Just as a father has, has compassion, so the Lord has compassion on his children. For himself knows our frame. He's mindful that we're but dust. Compassion is you playing ball with a two-year-old, right? Throwing the ball to them, what do they do, right? If you don't hit their hands, they don't catch it, number one. So they, you'll throw the ball to them, and they'll just watch it go right past you, right? And, uh, um, or two, if you throw it at them, they'll go right through their thing, hit them right on the face, uh, you know, bam. And you take it, you, you don't go, come on, catch the ball, junior. 
You know, you don't get upset, nor do you whip it on them. You, you go down to the level and you understand their frailties. You understand their weaknesses. That's compassion. That's the loving kindness of God. Mixed with the fact that it's, it's able to be trusted. You, you can entrust yourself to it. Mixed with the, its reality. It constitutes what's, what really is life. Fourthly, would you notice with me, it's goodness. Ezra 3.11, when the temple foundation was finished following the exile, we read of the people, and they, sang pra- and they sang praising and giving thanks to the Lord, saying, for he is good for, let me explain to you what I mean by goodness, his loving kindness is, ever, um, is upon Israel forever. The loving kindness of God also is his goodness. Now, what's his goodness? His goodness, brothers and sisters, basically is defined, is we, the way we would define it, is what it's not. That's, that, that's a great place uh, to start. Because as Christians, we are in a very, specific, a very qualified place to be able to understand what God's goodness is not. I take it from C.S. Lewis. He wrote this incredible observation. When a man is getting better... He understands more and more clearly the evil that is still left in him. When a man is getting worse, he understands his own badness less and less. A moderately bad man knows he's not very good. A thoroughly bad man thinks he's all right. This is common sense, really. You understand sleep when you're awake, not while you're sleeping. You can see mistakes in arithmetic when when your mind is working properly. While you are making them, you can't see them. You can understand the nature of drunkenness when you're sober, not when you're drunk. Good people know about both good and evil. Bad people do not know about either. Brothers and sisters, as Christians, let's, let's start beginning with what's the word good mean? Well, we know that good, it, it's not evil. And what's evil? As Christians, you know what evil is. In fact, the more you grow and you walk, the more you're going to see how evil evil really is. And thus we can say what God is not. Let's at least, at least let me at least uh, um, a start there. We know when we say God is good, we, he, we are saying that he is not sinful. There is no malice in him, envy, evil, wickedness, ill intent, pride, getting even, etc., etc. We go on and on and on. When we talk about God's goodness, we know there's nothing like that in God. God is not vindictive. God is not, does not have malice. He doesn't have ill intent. He, he is a being who, who, with him, he doesn't get even. He doesn't sit in the heavens and go, you sinned, Christian. I'm going get, to get even. None of that. That's what God's loving kindness is. That's part and parcel of God's loving kindness. Notice with me, fifthly, it's graciousness. Psalm 51.1, be gracious to me, O God, according to thy loving kindness. Loving kindness involves graciousness. What's graciousness? Graciousness, brothers and sisters, is once again a combination of terms of kindness, mercy, long-suffering, pity. It's God looking upon you and knowing even though you should be doing something more today, even though you should, by now you should be, you're, you're beyond where you are, right? Thinking of Hebrews. You should be ready for meat, but you're still with milk. Graciousness doesn't take you with disdain. Graciousness doesn't look down upon you. Graciousness doesn't, doesn't treat you with malice because, no, graciousness takes you where you are. Goodness 
involves none of the malice and none of the things that we just said. Graciousness takes us where we are, and it's gentle and kind, the meekness element to it. Notice with the sixth, it's God's forgiveness. I think that's how we mostly think of loving kindness. Exodus 34, 6, in response to Moses' request to look upon God, the Lord hid him in the cleft of the rock and then showed him a toned-down version of his glory, right? Then the Lord passed by in front of him, and proclaim the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious. All of that is his loving kindness. Slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands. How? Forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. Part and parcel of God's loving kindness is forgiveness. Incredible. It's God not holding you account to your sin because of Christ forgiving you. I hope you're getting this, 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 this painting in your mind. It's a lot, I realize. Notice with me, seventh, it's his righteousness. Psalm 3610, I'll continue thy loving kindness towards those who know thee and thy righteousness to the upright in heart. Epexegetical, loving kindness, Righteousness. What's the righteousness of God? It's the fact that there's no deceit. There's no, um, uh, that, 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 that God's just. There's no sin in God. That's one half of it. The other half of righteousness is that God's actions, just, righteous, means his actions are in perfect agreement with his nature. When we say God's a just God, ultimately we're saying he always acts according to his nature. So God's loving kindness in essence, because of this, will never change. God can never violate it. God could never violate his loving kindness because it's righteous. God can't today be a, a loving, kind God to you, forgive your sin, and then tomorrow change because, you know what, I, he's not the person I thought that he was. He can never do that. God, in this point, is, is stasis. It's eternal. Lamentations 3. The loving kindness of the Lord indeed never cease. His compassions, which is a part of God's loving kindness, never come to an end. Isn't that amazing, brothers and sisters? You're dealing with a being who with this little word is giving you thus far eight, um, but nine, nine things he wants you to take this diamond, nine different facets, and look at it and examine it and spend the entire life that you've got remaining Gazing upon this God in light of these incredible characteristics. And be mutually encouraged and lifted up and inspired and in awe. Notice it ends with, at least my list, his loyalty. Notice Nehemiah 1.5. This is the focus of Gluck's dissertation, by the way. Was this facet of God's loving kindness. And I said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who preserves the covenant and exegetical, that is, your loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. Gluck's primary emphasis in his dissertation was that God's loving kindness is not simply love. It's this massive conglomeration.
Now, now let's enjoy the loving kindnesses of God. This will take just a little bit of time. Notice with me verse 1. Oh God, thou art my God. How could David say that? He's just got these horrible sins. Yeah, God forgave him. But now God's, God seemingly has kicked him out. And yet David, because of the loving kindness of God, knows God will always be his God. Did you get this, brothers and sisters? If you're taking notes, this is a star. Wake up from your, from your, your, your dream world here, okay? This is important part. The doctrine of reconciliation. We think it's that we are reconciled to God, and that is false. Because reconciliation involves offense, and, we, and God has done nothing to offend us. So we don't need to be reconciled to God. The doctrine of reconciliation is that God's offense, because of our sin, is taken away at the cross. And so God is reconciled to us. Do you understand that? That's huge. Now, we may feel alienated from God. But get this, because of the doctrine of reconciliation, God could never be alienated from you again. That's the loving kindness of God. That's what David's getting at. You're my God. No matter how much I sinned, you're still my God. No matter how much I rebel, you still love me. You still care for me. You're there for me. Do you understand that? That's the loving kindness of God. It'll never change. It'll never falter. It's always there. He's loyal towards you. He's loving towards you. He's forgiving towards you. It's something you can stake your life upon. That's why David says, Thou art my God. And because of that, I shall seek thee earnestly. My soul thirsts for thee. My flesh yearns for thee. In a dry and weary land where there is no water. Boyce wrote of this, Verse 1 is a wonderful expression of the very heart of, of religion. David in the desert is in the desert of Judah, one of the most barren regions on the earth, and he uses that as a poetic background for his condition apart from God. He has been driven from Jerusalem where God was present in his sanctuary and where he regularly worshipped and beheld God's glory. He sees himself now as thirsting for God as a man might thirst in the desert where there is no water. Derek Kidner added, The longing of these verses is not the groping of a stranger feeling his way towards God, but the eagerness of a friend, almost a lover, to be in touch with the one he holds dear. You know what the desert did to David? He's in the desert. It makes me think of Exodus 33, uh, 15. God's people are in the desert. Moses says, If your presence doesn't go with us, keep us in the desert. That's David here. God, I'm in the desert And I'm thirsting not for water. I want you. I don't care about all the things that I just got kicked out from. I want you, God. That's my greatest passion. Notice with me, verse 2. Thus I beheld thee in the sanctuary to see thy power and thy glory. David, brothers and sisters, used to worship God in Jerusalem when the Shekinah glory was still in the temple. So for David to go to, the, to, the, to, to worship God was to behold God and see things about God that he could never have imagined outside of that temple. Brothers and sisters, David's um, um, knowledge of his position before God, you are my God, led him to this passion to know him more. I want to be in the temple. 
again. I, I just long to be there to see you, God. I love it. He's not longing for restoration. He's not longing for all the different things that you and I might in a desert land. No, he's longing just to behold God. Deeper, richer, further verses, the verse 3 through 5. And this leads to praise. Because of the loving kindness is better than life, my lips will praise thee. So I will bless thee as long as I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. My soul is satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth offers praises with joyful lips. Brothers and sisters, why don't you long for Christ like that? Why isn't that a description of your walk? You say, well, it's because my life's gotten me down, man. Or, my sin's so bad before God, I dare not enter into his presence. Or, I'm the greatest, I'm not the greatest Christian, I'm just not a good person. Brothers and sisters, could there be anyone here right now in their walk with God? In any worse place than David? Murder? Adultery? Deception? Okay, and I'm not talking about in his heart. So, everyone here who's guilty of murder, physical murder, physical adultery, and deceit and shammings and covering up, please stand. No one's going to stand, not because of embarrassment, because I know there's no one here guilty of that. So why don't we long for God the way David did? You know why? It's not because of us. It's because we don't realize the God the, the, the glory of God's grace. We don't realize the substance of his grace, which in this case is loving kindness. God will never and is never alienated from you. You may feel distant from God, but that's your, that's your feelings. God is never in Christ ever again, ever will he ever be distant from you. That's the loving kindness of God. So you know what you do? You respond to the psalm by saying, Amen. And you start setting your focus all the time you spent reading about your portfolio. Just take a tenth of that and study God's loving kindness. All the time you've spent about, about food, fixing food and shopping for food and all the other stuff that you're doing for food, take a tenth of that and and. And apply it to learning God's loving kindness. The point is, David set his heart because of his circumstances, set his focus upon God. That's what I want. Christian, what do you want more than life? You say, it's not God, honestly. That is, honestly, it's not. Well, guess where you begin? By confessing that. Lord, I confess. I read a psalm like this. That's not me. I look at my life. I go, my life this past week was spent being to, wishing I had all these other things. That's a great place to start. Lord, forgive me. And then, God, show me the glory of your loving kindness. Make that your passion. Make that your pursuit the coming week, month, year. God, show me your glory. Pray it every day. Long for it every day. Be in God's word so that you might learn it. Not so you can check it off. Notice the text goes on. He's now going to summarize. Six through eight. When I remember me, thee on my bed. He's in the wilderness. When you're in the wilderness, what are you thinking about in your bed? You're thinking about the next meal. You're thinking about the heat. You're thinking about the enemy. Will Absalom catch up to us? You're thinking about all these horrible things. Guess what David's doing? When I remember thee on my bed, I meditate on thee in the night watches. He's not filled with fear or revenge. 
He's filled with the knowledge of God. For, for thou hast been my help, and in the shadow of thy wings. It's a picture of the greatest form of protection. I sing for joy. You know the shadows of God's wings are to you? Loving kindness. To this psalm, it's loving kindness. You're in the shadow of God's wings when you understand his loving kindness. Even if you don't understand it, you're still in the shadow of his wings. My soul clings to you. As a result, my soul, in the King, uh, King James, followeth hard after thee. When you come to understand God more, you start following hard after him. This morning I was reading in a book. The comment was, if you want to grow in your passion for Christ, you've got to grow in your understanding of his greatness, who he is. So you seek the Lord, not academically. You seek him through his word to know this person. He's a person. The text goes on. But those who seek my life to destroy it will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be delivered over to the power of the sword. They will be prey for jackals, literally. They're the last people, people, last creatures who eat an animal before it's uh, consumed. They'll be the prey for foxes, but strong adversative. The king will rejoice in God. Brothers and sisters, let me ask son. Was David much of a king at this moment? No. But guess what? He never gave up on his identity. Are you much of a Christian right now? No. Don't ever give up on your identity. You're a child of the king, which means you're a king. And that king is for you to enjoy. Lastly, 11b, everyone who swears by him will glory. Everyone whose confidence is Christ, that will be your joy, your delight. For the mouths of those who speak lies will be stopped. That ultimately references the last day on the last judgment. The world and all of its glories are going to pass away. They are passing away. But God's loving kindness endureth forever. Christian, I don't know what you've heard today. Has this just been one long lecture? I hope not. I hope rather you have heard the most amazing truth ears could ever hear. The glories of God's grace. Nine facets of God's character put together in one beautiful tapestry, all proclaiming the same message. I am committed to you. I'll never give up on you. I'll never be disloyal to you. I'll always be there for uh, for you. I am truth. I constitute reality. Come to me. Seek me. You'll never be disappointed. May God give us the grace this day, brothers and sisters to flee for refuge in the name of the Lord. That name. Let's pray. Father God, we bow before you this moment. And as your people, all coming from, I know, a week of failure, various and sundry struggles, conflicts, Doubts, fears, disappointments. And Father, sadly, because of these can be so big to us, they can make it seem as though you are a redundancy or you're irrelevant. When, Lord, that is simply gazing upon the, the waves. Lord, we're sinking. Grant us the grace to see that we're sinking today. 
and to reach out our hands as Peter did to Jesus and say, Lord, save me. In this case, O oh Lord, we say, Lord, open our eyes. That the things of this world that seem so big would be pro- uh, put in their proper perspective as we see that what is big is you are God, specifically your loving kindness that indeed never ceases, that never comes to an end, that will be enjoyed, reflected upon, and pursued throughout the rest of eternity. God, I pray, grow us, your people, in your grace. I pray that, O Lord. We pray now as we go to the table, bless this time of fellowship with you. May we eat and be nourished and built up and fed upon you, our Savior. God, Continue that work of grace, we pray.